TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast. And now... You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. To Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner. Very pleased that Rabbi Yisrael now joins us as spiritual director of Chabad of NDG and the Jewish chaplain of Concordia University. Uh, he is known as uh, the Love Rabbi, and uh, he was Canada's only finalist for the Jewish Community Hero Award, known as the Love Rabbi. Uh, he also has made 54 matches. He's formed J Matching International, a network of Jewish dating sites. You can also watch him on television. He's a film and TV star. starred in CBS, CBC's hit documentary, Kosher Love. He's innovative and he's creative. So Rabbi Yisrael Burnett, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So tell us, how did you end up becoming the love doctor? <laughs> I, I first the, of love all, rabbi, I to, the love rabbi, I should say. <laughs> I want to tell you that I hate that moniker. It, uh, you know, it's so funny because people will often uh, call me and they'll say the love rabbi and they look at me and they say, you just don't meet the kind of person that I would think would be the love rabbi. And so uh, I dislike the moniker, but I'll do it for the Jewish people, whatever. Well, it's on your website. You can, it's called the Love Rabbi. I love I the know. idea. It gets, it gets it out there. Are you competing with Shmuley Botech? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know him, and i uh definitely not competing with him. But uh, um, I've, I've heard that a few times. <laughs> right, because he, he also was, was involved. But here you are. You made 54 matches. That's an amazing amount of matches. What's your secret? No wonder they call you the love rabbi, but how did that all come about? So it came about about uh, 15 years ago when I arrived in Montreal and I realized that there was... Where did you come a, from? I came uh, originally from Chicago. And I realized there was a huge, huge need. There was like this gap here. And there were this kind of the emerging of... We, what today is known as the young adult or the young professional. And they were not meeting in the same way that they used to meet maybe uh, before that. And so I, I had no idea what I was doing in the beginning and just kind of like, just was trying to be, you know, a good rabbi slash Jewish community person and putting people together, you to you, oh, you have a nose and you have a nose. Okay, you know, it's got to work. And, uh, you know, a real belief in marriage and in long-term relationships kind of driving that desire for young people to meet each other. And as a result, I mean, you make one match, you know, great. You make two, you make three. But over time, if you want to make many, it becomes, it goes from, let's say, necessarily a talent or uh <laughs> something that you would think that would just be out in the air to something that's actually a skill. And so today, I would say it's a lot more skill-based. It's a lot more focused. It's a lot more, you know, trying to figure out um, who's for who and what's good for one person or for another. Because today, it's it would seem that with all the technology and the swiping and the dating apps that'd be easier for people to meet from what I hear. It's much more difficult. Even you have this old new technology. 
So people, I guess, are looking for ways, and there's nothing like the human touch in magic. I, I, I would say that. I mean, I, I think that the algorithms are great, and I do use some technology and some algorithm, but at the same time, uh, you know, the, the, there's nothing like getting to know each other. Look at this conversation that you and I are having now, like getting to know each other. We don't know each other before tonight, and perhaps over the next little while, we'll get to know each other. There's a power, even through this medium, through the phone, through Zoom, we can use technology, but there's about something about the, the, that contact, of that personal contact. So, but still, it, to create 54 matches is no small feat. So you can put people in the room and say, okay, in fact, Reverend Sun Young Moon, the Moonies, he made matches. I think he made a thousand or more matches at big weddings in uh, Madison Square Garden years ago, years ago. He was a cult leader. Unfortunately, a lot of Jews that joined the cult. But the next day, you have people with broken arms and fighting. So there's it's an the argument. old story from, uh, from, from the Gemara, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, so tell us, so tell us your secret. So how you, you can look at people, and how do you know that this one's going to work? Because it's an art, and you weren't trained with that. They didn't teach that in Chabad school, right? That's so I don't think they teach that anywhere. Right. And that's actually something that that bothers me a lot. There's a lot of very good and well-intentioned people who are out there and they're doing their best, but I think it's a lot of uh, shoot, you know, shots in the dark, you know, this and that. So like um, you said, this one has a nose, that one has a nose. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so tell us your secret. So uh, for me, there's a couple of different, obviously there is some kind of an intuition. Uh, you, you, you get to know someone and something about one person reminds you of something else, but that's not enough. That's maybe enough for what I call the matchmaking spark. Like, oh, that would be interesting. But what then I do is, and there's a lot of systems that could be used, but the system that I like the best is uh, what's called the big five personality traits. And the big five personality traits are five kind of complementary ideas. For example, uh, extrovert versus introvert, right? So I'm not saying this as a whole, but often you'll find in a complementary couple, one will be a little more extroverted and one will be a little more introverted. One may be a little more open to experience and one may be a little more closed to experience. And these are kind of complementary ideas that together, it's really good that one be a little more introverted, one a little more extroverted. If they're both very extroverted, when are they going to be in the house? And if they're both really introverted, when are they going to get out? So these are, again, if you see two people as kind of, you know, the Jewish idea of two halves of a whole, but you see the whole as actually these kind of complementary uh, ideas, then what ends up happening is you see that if one person is one way, they actually can fit with someone who would be complementary to them. Does that now, make sense? You, I hear what you're saying. You're saying to a certain degree, opposites attract. But I'm not, but the, the, there's no, a, the not thing. necessarily opplements. Com- well, if somebody's introverted, somebody's extrovert, it's an opposite. It's not an opposite. It's a complement, which means if you look at two halves of a whole, and if you look at the entire picture, and you see two people being an entire picture, so uh, there needs to be an introvert and an extrovert in a relationship. So it looks to you, or maybe to an individual, if you're looking at one person as an opposite. But if you look at two people creating a unified whole, if they're complementary. 
Now, are you matching up religious people, non-religious people? Let's look at a profile. Are they mostly Canadians? Is it the United States? Let's look at the overall picture. So uh, today, I used to say the religious, they have, they, have a, they have it all figured out. There's enough matchmakers out there. Why do I have to uh, you know, deal with the, the religious? And then, so I was only doing more secular uh, you know, the idea of two Jews dating one another, it means they're not dating, dating a Gentile. So that was the beginning of it. But today, as you and I both know, it's not as simple for the Orthodox, especially the modern Orthodox. And uh, people are having a harder time than they used to. Uh, it's not as simple. Uh, the matchmakers who used to be really successful, they're having a hard time with this generation. And I'm not saying that I'm having it any easier, but I think there's more people that need to get out there and need to be part of the conversation and be part of helping those people uh, find others if they are interested. And I, and I say that it's a huge caveat because the, you can't be hungrier than the person to make that match. And I think a lot of matchmakers traditionally used to be hungrier than the people they were trying to match. which means they wanted the match more than the single. They were pushing. You know, there was an old saying that the Shadchan stand, you know, used to stand for Sheker, Dabur, Kesef, Notain, right? (laughs) False words and they're taking the money. And and there was this idea that, you know, I really believe this person had to sell the match. Well, that's not working for today's generation. Either they want it or they don't want it. And I think the, the hardest thing is kind of weeding through who are people who are not looking for a long-term relationship. If you're not looking for a long-term relationship, there's lots of options out there. You don't need my help. And, but So weeding through who's not looking for a long-term relationship and who is looking for a long-term relationship. And sometimes it takes having that really, what I call the come to Moses moment, having that heart-to-heart, having that real conversation with someone and saying, who are you? What's going on? So is it mostly your students that are on your campus, or are you, are you getting requests from America and elsewhere to do the shidduch, to arrange for the matches? So uh, is it local? Are you, are, could you have an international dating service as well? That's why I'm right. wondering. Right. So uh, it started off locally, and definitely because I'm in Montreal, there's no question that I try to focus on in Montreal. But now... Uh, I've trained quite a few matchmakers and our network has grown tremendously. Uh, there's about 30 matchmakers, not only myself, there's no way that we can. We do help singles from all over the world. Uh, definitely North America uh, focused, but all over the world. And we have different people in different cities who are focused. So the network has grown uh, today and uh, we've been able to to kind of catch on to other uh, uh, networks as well to try to be able to expand the pool of singles. We work uh, very closely with Mark Goldman and Saw You at Sinai uh, and some of the other uh, sites and and uh, profiles and networks that exist out there to try to be able to expand the pool as much as possible. So if you yourself made 54 matches and you have 30 matchmakers out there, so you probably have a lot more matches that are attributable to you. If, the, if, if each matchmaker made at least one match or two, um, are you keeping track of what your disciples, what your trained matchmakers have been doing and how successful they've been? So for me to say that 
I've made a match. It has to be me personally setting up the two people. So that's, you know, it's not, oh, I mean, if somebody in my network uh, finds someone, for me, that's not a match. There, it's very hard. Obviously, we deal with all types of people. Sometimes, especially in the secular community, you don't find out for years and years. I was actually, uh, I'll just tell you, I was, I was walking down the streets uh, over the summer, you know, just a few months ago, and uh, I see two people there. And this is post-pandemic. And so I said, oh, hi, how are you? Nice to see you guys. This is a couple that I set up about five years ago. Oh, really nice to see you guys. And like, oh, how's everything going? Oh, yeah, yeah, everything's good. So uh, you're still together? Wow, it's amazing. You're still together. Yeah, we got married about uh, five months ago. I'm like, oh, thank you for inviting me. (laughs) Do you get invited to the weddings that you've set up? Uh, To the matches that you set up? Not that one. <laughs> and obviously, but is that, so, is that the tradition that they invite the matchmaker? They invite you? I, I, I don't know. If they, the, I wonder how it is in secular society, Jewish society. In the religious community, I guess you probably would be. I'm just wondering if, if the more secular Jewish individuals would have that same custom. Very often the secular ones, because I'm a rabbi, will ask me to officiate. I would say more often than not. You know, it's, 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 it's an, it's a, I, I don't, and fine, I, but yes, I will often get invited. I would say, uh, you know, a lot of people feel like that's their Genesis story. That's their story. Oh, you know, this is the person who introduced us. And what ends up happening, actually, what my original network was, I would set up a match, I'd get invited to the wedding, and then the couple would say, oh, this is the rabbi that introduced us. And all of a sudden, I would get bombarded by all the singles at the wedding, oh, can you set me up? Can you set me up? That's how it started. Uh-huh. So in other words, you set one person up, and that's how it it opened up a chain. Because you, did you envision yourself when you became a Chabad rabbi, you came from Chicago, came to, to Montreal, that you'd be doing all this matchmaking? Was that part of your thinking at all? Not even a thought. No, <laughs> absolutely not. Definitely not. So I took think of a lot of things... I would be doing, but not that. It's, I guess Mitzvah Guerrero's Mitzvah, one good deed gets another good deed into, into motion, right? And I still, I still don't consider myself a matchmaker. You know, I'm not that typical, you know, I don't know, maybe somebody the, during a recent uh, film screening, somebody said, how does it feel to be a man in a woman's world? And I looked at him and I said, I actually, this is the first time I'm actually thinking about it. I never even realized that, but there, there is a truth to that. There are not, I'm not sure why, and that's a really great question in general, is why there are not more men who are in this world of kind of introducing singles and matchmaking. I'm not saying there are, there are none, but there aren't as many. Definitely, as this man said, it's, it's you know, being a man in a woman's world, whatever that means. Yeah, what does that mean? How did you take that? You know, I'm not sure. I, 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 I mean, I definitely... it's, true. it's true, as you mentioned, that you, you, you do see more... Women matchmakers. I, I can't think of any male matchmakers. Official, right? Ones, I mean, and it's also maybe maybe that's why I don't want to be called a matchmaker, right? I I I, I don't know if I'm. A oh, you can you can you can start a new trend. Maybe I have no problem. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe women are more intuitive. Maybe it's always been the quote unquote yenta. Maybe there's that fiddler on the roof kind of feel to the matchmaker. Matchmaker, find me someone. Um, maybe women are more relationship oriented in general. Maybe they have more time. I don't know. 
I don't know. I'm I'm just making stereotypes, but I, I really have no idea. <laughs> We're speaking with he's a dating coach, he's a matchmaker, shotgun, call him what you like. He's called the love rabbi. And he's made 54 matches. He's trained over 30 other matchmakers. But he's also on TV. He's a TV and movie star as well. We'll talk about that, too. <laughs> Fascinating, Rabbi Yisrael Burnett in Montreal. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the program. Rabbi Yisrael Bernard joins us. He is a dating coach, matchmaker. He's in Montreal. He's been called the love rabbi. He's a film and television star, but he finds time to make many, many matches. Over 54, he's trained over 30 other matchmakers to help in that quest. Um, we're taking some of your email questions. Here's a comment for you, Rabbi Bernard from BC. Your guest is a breath of fresh air. Most rabbis don't touch matchmaking with a 10-foot pole and indeed often by a comment or worse prevent what would have been a successful marriage. Much continued to the rabbi. I actually think it's an important comment and I thank you for that because a lot of rabbis tell me that it's not good for business, they say, because then the single automatically associates you with all their let's say, relationships that didn't work out. And so a lot of rabbis don't want to touch it. So I really appreciate someone saying that. And it is true. I've, I've had my own share of issues over the years, but I say I do it for the Jewish people. So it really is Hashem's work. Now, you're also on TV and you, movies. You were in Young Abraham, Mixed Blessings. You're in Kosher Love. Tell us about your... You're, I don't know when you find time for everything to be a Chabad rabbi and you're a chaplain, you're a matchmaker and also a TV and movie star. So let's look when you find the time for everything, but let's look at your TV and movie career as well. So you have time for whatever you want to have time for, right? What, uh, <laughs> right. Zev, how do you have time for everything? You know, how does That's anyone true. have time? For I, I, I always say, I always tell the joke. They say, Brooke Van Winkle. After 40 years of sleep, when they woke him up, he, he said five more minutes. And that's my motto. I need five more <laughs> minutes every day. Actually, need more than five minutes. But uh, but there's, I, I don't get bored. Thank God. I don't have time to get bored. I'll tell you, Rabbi Akiva Eger said that with five minutes, he became a Talmud Chacham. He became a scholar with five minutes because it was five minutes here and five minutes there that made him the scholar. And so it, even it, now, I remember was just, the Vilna Gummy says, I think the between Mincha and Meyer, when you did the learning was five or 10 minutes. He goes, you can Vilna, you can be a gone too. If you yes. want, you can be a gone. And that's extra five minutes here, five minutes there makes a difference. Absolutely correct. But can I mean, you just make look a at match? what time we're having this interview? So there's time <laughs> for everything. <laughs> but so where do you find the five minutes to be a movie actor? How did that come about? That, uh, <laughs> that, I'm not sure. It just kind of happened. Uh, it started off when I was a kid, I had a dream that I wanted to create some kind of animation or something for Jewish kids that was would rival Disney. And so I always had this in my mind that, that one day I would get involved in a project and I had an opportunity about 15 years ago. Uh, to get into a, that was my first project, kind of my first uh, opening into, let's say, quote unquote, Hollywood, uh, coming to Quebec, where there are tremendous tax credits and tax benefits and, 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 and grants for animation here that the Quebec government gave. And I said, hey, 
maybe we can do this. And I had teamed up with a, a group of people and got some seed money. And we put together this uh, incredible animation that maybe a lot of your listeners had seen. It's been out for years now called Young Abraham, the story of Avram's life, according to the Medrash. And uh, I, I, I mean, we even did a, a run uh, at the time on DVD for, uh, for the firm markets. Uh, it went much further than that. It was actually bought out by some, uh, some big studios. And uh, actually just... Which studios bought out the Young Abraham? It was one of NBC's subsidiary studios that bought it. And are they still distributing it? Yeah, yeah, they still have it. And uh, it's one of those, you know, now they, they ended up taking our models. I mean, if you want to talk about animation, we can talk about, they ended up taking our models and doing other things with them because once you, you buy a, an animation, especially if it's a 3D animation, the CGI system, you actually get the models, you get various elements and, and scenes and things that we had worked on. Uh, so so when's, young, when's Young Isaac coming out? Uh, that's, so uh, after that, I said, you know what? I did it. That was my dream as a child. I lived my childhood dream. Now let's move on to something else. The funny thing is that I had been involved in another, a number of projects after that. We did the story of David Amelech that never was released for nothing to do with me, but it was some political issues having to do with uh, in Hollywood. We can talk about the politics are insane and to actually get something. Right, so you made movie. you made a film for Hollywood and then it didn't meet their woke standards? Um, it wasn't that it was pre-woke. Um, it had to do with particular funding and different people who owned rights to certain things. I, it was beyond me. It, not, it really had nothing to do with me. And then just recently, I uh, did the story of Shimshin. It actually just and, came out a few days ago. Oh, and where is it? Is it, is it available on DVD? Is it online? So is it, I, was, is it? I was really proud. Again, we're fast forwarding. The technology is so good on CGI now. I really wanted something for from children. That was really my initial goal with Young Abraham. Young Abraham was a $1.8 million budget. There was wow. no way I could do a $1.8 million film for the from market. But fast forward 10 years, about five years ago, I was approached by uh, Chaim Hershkowitz, um, who has this really great streaming uh, site called Tovido. And he said, why don't we try doing it Technology has changed. Let's see if we can take your experience and what you've done over the years and let's try to do something. So it's not quite to the level of, let's say, Young Abraham, but I would say it's probably the best thing that's ever come out specifically for from kids using really like using the Medrash in a way that uh, hasn't been used before, bringing the story of Shimshin, which is such an important story, bringing it to life. And so I'm really proud of it. And it happens to be randomly that we're having this interview and it just came out just a few days ago. So let me, let me, let me just uh, ask you this question. So where'd you raise $1.2 million from? That's not so easy to do. It was 1.8 million. Um, so, uh, um, so it was raised uh, with a big mix. So like I said, one of the people don't know this, but in Quebec, the Quebec government wants to wanted and still wants to be the leader in animation and in uh, a lot of big hollywood studios bring their special effects studios to quebec to to where i live and it happens to be where i live there's a lot of people even all around the area that i live in i know so many people in the animation world in the movie world in special effects i didn't you know one of the joys of being chabad is you know they say join chabad see the world 
but it's not just see the world. You see parts of the world and people and you get involved in communities that you would have never imagined. Well, I kind of landed on a film community that is right here in my neighborhood with lots of people that are very knowledgeable in the industry and Hollywood studios that do a lot of animation. So if you put minimal amount of uh, capital, the Quebec government meets that sometimes up to 80%. So we only wow. had to actually raise $400,000 for it. Amazing. That's not a small piece of change either, but let's take, let's take Menachem patiently waiting. Menachem in, La- in Maplewood, New Jersey. Go ahead, Menachem. You have a question for Rabbi Burnett. Yes, a tremendous show as always. Uh, good, uh, good um, uh, uh, Rabbi, you do, the work you're doing, there's no denying that the work that you're doing is so critical uh, to uh, our future. Um, is it possible that you can formulate some kind of a program for other rabbis to follow your plan and to be able to duplicate your successes? Also, as a corollary, I'm sure uh, many times, you know, some of the matches that you put together uh, don't work out. I guess as a result, uh, do you uh, uh, counsel these people who you've originally put together to try to get them back uh, uh, in the right frame of mind of dating, and do you help them uh, in uh, in their future dating? Thank you. Menachem, thank you for that question. That is a fantastic question. I would love to help other rabbis do what I'm doing, any rabbi. Any community leader, any good, willing person that has contacted me, I have tried my best to help them, give them all my best practices, the good, the bad, the ugly, and we need as many people as possible doing this good work. Um, on, the, on the second part of your question, I definitely uh, spend a lot of time on education. I would say that even more than the, let's say, the matchmaking element now, I spend a lot of time on education. Our singles need to be educated. And even more so, our couples need to be educated. I'll tell you something shocking, Menachem and, and, and Zev. Um, there is no premarital program for rabbis in any denomination of the Jewish community that exists. I was shocked to find this out. I said, you know, I'm doing a lot of weddings now because it kind of, kind of comes with the territory that I, I actually, uh, this summer, I performed uh, uh, about just from Shavuos until Rosh Hashanah, about 14 weddings. So I consider that uh, a sizable amount, enough That's that very nice. you know, uh-huh. when, I'm, when I'm standing under the chuppah and I'm looking at this couple and I'm actually making a bracha, I'm blessing their union. And I'm thinking to myself, what did I do? Why? Because I have smicha. It gave me the right to bless their union. Why do I have the right to bless these people? And it, with the divorce rate the way it is, even in the firm community, which we don't have to talk about tonight, um, by the way, the some people line... say, Rabbi Bernat, some people say the divorce crisis is even greater than, than the shidduch of the Absolutely. marrying and, crisis. And I think that we rabbis are the first line of defense. And we need to set up our couples with a toolbox. We need to set up our couples with, um, with at least the tools to be able to start and develop a long-lasting and loving relationship. And so I went out to see, I, I figured... I, I can't be the only one that's doing weddings and wants a premarital program. And I found out 
that in every single denomination, in Orthodox, in, in all the denominations within the Orthodox world, and in Reform Conservative, there is not one premarital program. I'll even tell you another thing I found out. In many states, you actually, when you go to get your, um, your license, many states have two options. If you have a, a letter that's signed by the, your officiant that says you went through premarital program, it will be significantly reduced the price of that license. There are rabbis all over America that are signing that are signing um, letters to couples saying that they did premarital program and they did nothing. We, I, I, and I, and so one of the things that I'm really passionate about right now is trying to develop and design a premarital program for couples. I've um, looked at a lot of the really great programs that are out there. There are many, many, not Jewish, but there are many, many great programs out there. We don't have to totally reinvent the wheel, but I think that's something that's a huge need in our community. Now, do you have a situation where you made a match and doesn't work out and they're both angry at you? Because that's, I guess, one of the dangers of doing matchmaking. Absolutely. It's so smooth, right? So oh, yeah. is that a concern? Or maybe some rabbis don't want to get involved because they're concerned if it doesn't work out, who they're going to blame? The rabbi. I think, I think a lot of rabbis um, don't want to get involved for that reason. Like, like, you know, one rabbi told me, I said to this in the beginning of the show, it's not good for business. <laughs> it's not right. good for the rabbi business. Here's an email question. I've been a matchmaker on S-Y-A-S. I don't know what that is. For over, you at Sinai. For over 10 years. And Baruch Hashem, I've made more than 20 successful matches there. How do you advise matchmakers like myself to deal with singles who have been members of mine for more than five years? And many, especially the guys, have gotten hundreds of matches each year, and yet they're still looking. Do you recommend the matchmaker asking them to switch matchmakers for better luck or a new approach? Supposedly, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting different results. Personally, I feel most singles who dated hundreds and haven't gotten married have some issue they need to deal with. What do you think of that? If I can be blunt. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Um, Speak your mind. Some people are just not ready for the relationship. And you don't have to work for them if they're not ready for a relationship. It's okay to say to them, you're not ready. Don't clog up the system. But but something you you never know. Listen, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a story. I was on a cruise. Had to be about 34, 35 years. It was a Pesach cruise. And I was doing a TV show, and there was a man there in his 50s, never married. And I asked him, are you married? And he goes, every woman he pointed, that's my wife. <laughs> on, the, on the seventh day of Pesach, he meets a young lady from the Upper West Side of Manhattan in her 30s. Okay, he meets her the seventh day of Pesach. The boat docks on Friday. They have the first date on Sunday, and I went to the wedding Thursday night with the band of the boat, the rabbi from the one they got married four or five days later. So you never know. Well, um, I don't know if that's, a, I, I don't know if that's a story that I would be proud of. I'm not saying that it's, it's a, what I'm saying it's not proud of is well, what's marriage. I mean, we, we can start getting into some very deep and difficult questions here as to, um, you know, in, in many places, if you are an officiant in most states in the United States, or you are an officiant in, let's say, here in Quebec, here in Quebec, you cannot do a wedding um, twenty with, without filing it at least 21 business days beforehand. And there's a reason for that. This whole idea of the shotgun wedding, so to speak, 
It's not, I don't know if that's what we're looking for. Bob, this is not a shotgun wedding. In fact, this was 34 years ago. I happened to be at an event where I met relatives of this individual that's still married with kids, you know, so it's not a typical situation. I I agree. uh, I don't know if that story happened today. If I would, so what, and again, 34 years ago, it's a wonderful story. I'm proud of them. You know, they should live and be well. I don't know if that story (laughs) happened today, if I would be as proud. Okay, but here, did you ever consider, by the way, blending your love rabbi skills? You have a passion for film, for movies, maybe a reality TV show, The Love Rabbi. I think it could do very well. <laughs> I actually, um, I don't know if you know, but Netflix is making a a, a show right now uh, called Jewish Matchmaking, and I was the first person that they were really pursuing when they when they did it. I, I, I and this is a whole world that I knew nothing about. Um, at the end, I decide I, de- I end up declining uh, for a lot of reasons. The primary reason was a lot of it was scripted. I was shocked how much of it was scripted. And I said, look, I'm a real rabbi. I have integrity. I, I, I'm not if you, you can get anybody. You, what do you need me for to, to do a scripted show? Because, because you're an actor. They figured you're an actor, right? You're so- right. Well, <laughs> guess what? I'm actually, you know, I remember I was once on set uh, for uh, for a movie and I walk on and the the, the director looks, he's like, oh my gosh, you look like a real rabbi. Where did they find you? <laughs> like, shocked. Here I am. Do you, do you get calls to, to, to play the role of a rabbi in lots of different movies or television shows? So yeah, so I ended up, it's interesting, the, the community I live in is a huge filmmaking community. So um, there's a lot of movies that are done in Canada. I don't know if you know that. And so um, I had done a few movies and then I had, I ended up getting unionized. And so I'm the only uh, Orthodox person that I know of right now that is unionized in Canada for, uh, for roles. So I, I, I often don't take the roles. It has to be a particular type of movie, but I have been able to take uh, some smaller roles, some larger roles on different sets um, as a result of, of being unionized, which is a whole other conversation that's big, that, means, that means you have a speaking role if you yes exactly you have well you have to have a number of speaking roles to get it to, to get unionized now by the way it doesn't exist anymore there used to be a group called hag hasidic actors guild my no way Lifshitz, uh who starred in a lot of the tv shows when then he leaded hasidic you know actor or rabbi, so they called him and he got them and there were other there were a bunch of people that were from that came from a Hasidic background that they, they, they incorporated into the movies. In fact, there was a, I remember there was a, one of Unsolved Mysteries, there was a, a situation where you had a, a killing at the, at the Masifta of Long Beach many, many years ago. So he was in there, I remember seeing him in the Maid of Andrew by Jacob. So they used, you know, a lot of these actors from the Hasidic actors, but I don't think it exists. Maybe you can revive it. One of the reasons why I actually say yes to some of these roles, if I'm able to, is because I'm so happy that they're actually um, finding, uh, you know, and wanting authentic roles within the Jewish community. It's interesting because within uh, Hollywood, a lot of different communities, you cannot uh, show a particular community without certain authenticity to it. And the Jewish community never really got that properly, especially because there's so many Jews in Hollywood and they think they know the Orthodox community and they think they know Hasidic. And we know good and well how misrepresented we've been uh, over the years in various films and various shows. 
and how terrible things. I mean, not long ago, there was a show of which there was a Hasidic man that wouldn't get a, a pig valve from a, a, a heart from a pig valve. And that was a huge, huge deal. And I, we all know that that's absolutely not true. Right. According to Halacha. And that just shows us in such a terrible light. So well, sometimes... it's, got, it's, got, it's gotten worse. It's gotten yeah. worse these days with the portrayal of, you know, Orthodox Jews and, and the Hasidim in, in film. It was better. There was a movie, A Stranger Among Us. I don't know if you remember that with, uh, with the big Hollywood and the actress, her name slips me, where they portrayed it in, in a much more sympathetic light. Today, it's, it's different. It's a different world out there today. Yeah, it's, it's much harsher. And, and I can tell you, I've been on sets where the fact that I was there and I was authentic, I was able to say to the producer or director, this is not the right way to do it. I'm here. Let's do it the right way. Now, uh, when you're on a movie set, and I, I'm asking if you put ever put on your Hasidic hat and say, would you put on tefillin? I, I have. That happened on the... On the oh, sure. Come on. Tell, I, I, tell I, us the story. I am a Chabad rabbi. I mean, that's all. what I'm saying. I want, I want you to, to, to blend all, all the elements together. Tell us an interesting story of an interesting personality that on the set that you got to put on tefillin. So there's actually... I've had some interesting conversations. Unfortunately, when you're on a set... Um, because I'm bound by very strict rules, I can't actually talk about, but I have had the opportunity um, of putting on film with some very famous people because I've been on sets. Yeah, right, and I figured as much because you have to yeah. incorporate all, all three together. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, I have some really great stories. But you can't say I'm, them on the air with I, Unfortunately, I can't. Uh, uh, one day, one day, when I leave the guild and I, I'm, I'm, I'm not unionized anymore, I will uh, be able to to share some really amazing stories over the years. I want to get back to the do. Netflix. You said that you turned down being on Jewish Matchmaking. They have an Indian Matchmaking show. You turned so down- it's the same producers as Indian Matchmaking. They're in the process of doing Jewish Matchmaking. I do believe they did find two or three from Matchmakers who are doing it. But you uh, say it's scripted. It's not real. It's they tell you what to say, what to do. So. There were a, p- a number of different situations that, because when you when you negotiate, I mean, it was an insane amount of negotiation. The contract, especially being a, a lead role, and uh, I had I I had to get a, a specific agent that was that specialized, a lawyer that specialized in this. And there were particular scenarios that that the agent was presenting to them, and they said, "Well, no, that could be a scenario." And I said, there's absolutely no way that I would, you know, I'm a real rabbi. I, I have, you know, this is, this is not, I'm not a, a movie star. I know that uh, obviously it's very hard. There was a tremendous amount of money attached to it. There was, there's a tremendous amount of notoriety attached to it, but it doesn't mean that I would renege on my values for that. And so I turned it down. No, good for you. They, you stood for your principles. Do they respect you when you turn it down for religious reasons? Say it goes against my morals to do. Oh, they they they, they thought it was just about money. You know, it's amazing how the Jewish the Jewish stereotype really came out. They thought Have they said to you money. they say why are you turning down? I'll give you more no, money. They they, they, they they returned. They replied to us with uh, they they give they give a a thirty percent increase. And I said, no, it's not about saying, money. You said, you said, turn that. I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll add 30% more to the salary. They were trying to win me over with dollars. And I said, no. And they added even more money on top of that. It ended up being like, uh, uh, about at the end, about 60% more than the original give amount. A, can you give us a, a, a dollar amount so you can illustrate to the audience, let's say, what we're talking about? Well, it was, it was, it's, it's per episode, per season, per right. amount of minutes. But it was a tremendous, I mean, 
because it was a full season. It was we're talking about uh, uh, you were talking about in, into the many six figures. Wow, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yes. And you turn it down for your beliefs and your morals. Yes. Call it kavod. It's nice. You don't find so many people doing that. Now, were those scenes or those movies would you felt would compromise your Judaism? What about those movies didn't you like? Which ones? That you turned down. You said that you turned down being on it because it goes against your moral compass. What kinds of roles? Well, for example, and anything that is not kosher. If I don't consider it kosher, I won't be on it. So there's sometimes they want a rabbi role on a film that I don't think is a, a proper film for a rabbi to be on. Let's be a little, little more elaborate. What, For example, what do they want you to do in one of the movies? No, it's not necessarily what they want me to do. It's that it's that I would be on the same film as, let's say, something that was rated R or is rated, uh, even to me to, today, rated PG-13. I don't know if I would I would go on a film like that. I just... I, I just did a scene on, on a French, it just happened to be random, on, on a French film, uh, a pretty well-known French film that's coming out now. And so, and that was like, there was, there was, no, there was nothing wrong about it. This is like, was the, you know, it's so hard to decide these things. I, I'm just giving you a little bit of, right, Andrew, I guess, I'm trying to figure out, my back you know, it's PG, it could go either way. It could be PG for a variety of reasons. Right. So do you look at the script before you say no, or just you oh. heard that it's PG and you say? I always look at the script before I say yes or no. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I'll read through the script. I'll read through my role. And so this was the first time I was on a film and the woman, there was a woman on the film that I didn't feel was dressed properly, which generally I would not be on a film like this. And I just realized that in, in the French the French media is much, much more anti-Semitic than the English media. I don't know if you know this, but it's really, really anti-Semitic. In and what, there's in tropes what way? there. Uh-huh. Just, there's just ingrained tropes about Jews. I mean, I don't know if you saw like uh, The Adventures of Rabbi Jacob or... or I saw what... The Adventures of Rabbi Jacob. That was a great film. I... Right. So that was, let's say, a good film. And that was a very right. famous French actor. So in general, there's various tropes that are not necessarily good for the Jews. And I felt that this was an opportunity to be in that world because I could be. And I decided at the end to, to be on the film and to do the scene, even though um, it, it, it was maybe on a, on a more American style film, I wouldn't have done it. But do you ever consider the fact that if you take a role of the film, which might be objectionable to a small degree again it's everything is relative and everything yes. uh you can determine do you ever think that maybe being there you can influence a people on the movie set maybe even people watching the film may be inspired when they see you I, i'm sure that there's i'm sure somebody can go to a, a nightclub and influence people there it doesn't mean i'm going to go to the nightclub well you I had mean, rabbi so many... grossman the disco rabbi he goes into discotheques and gets yeah, people out so i'm proud of him that's his choice I don't know if I'm not a disco rabbi and I'm not going into a discotheque <laughs> to influence people. I mean, you know, uh, there's there's places you can be the, the the beach rabbi and go on the beach and influence people. You know, there has you have to draw the line somewhere. And especially if you're someone who's out there and if you really represent what is Torah true Judaism, you there has to be. It's very. Yes, I agree. I walk a fine line. Maybe I you know, I'm, I'm out there a little more than others. But I think that there needs to be integrity. And we really have to think about you know, what is important. And so over the years, I've consulted with uh, with senior rabbis and, and people who I really respect. 
And I've been able to create uh, a line, a value system that I, I really, really try not to break. Now, you mentioned that there's hundreds of thousands of dollars that you turned down. Did you ever consider or did you ever try to get them to tone down some scenes or make some changes to make it palpable that you could appear in the film? It was very early on. From what I understand, I didn't really keep track of what's going on. So I can't tell you this as a, as a fact, but from what I've heard through, I would say, I mean, legitimate sources, they've changed a lot of the tune because I think they, they wanted a certain legitimacy. So I was the first one that they had contacted and they really spent a lot of time with me. But I think now they realized to get what they want, they're going to have to renege. So I, I'm not exactly sure what's going on now, but it seems like they did get some really good people and I'm happy for them. And I'm happy that, it, that, that there was, I was hoping that, but it just happened to be, I think because I was the first person approached, I had to be the one to break the ice. But did you say to them, if you make certain changes, then I will appear? Oh yeah, we went back and forth quite back a bit. You have, oh, an, a you, you have an agent uh, that represents you too? I have to. Right. Welcome, That's to, my life. Welcome right. to the life of Hollywood. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> Our guest is Rabbi Yisrael Bernat. He's multifaceted, multi-talented. He has a passion for film. He's made films. He's He's been on TV. He's been in movies. He's also a dating coach and matchmaker. He's been called the love rabbi. Rabbi Yisrael Bernat is our guest. He's also uh, Chabad, which means he's able to blend and integrate all those talents into helping people and spreading a Judaism. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. Our fascinating guest is Rabbi Yisrael Bernat, the spiritual director of Chabad of NDG. What does NDG stand for, by the way, Rabbi Bernat? Notre Dame de Grasse. You'd rather call it NDG. <laughs> I pronounce it better. And the Jewish chaplain of Concordia University, but he's here tonight or this morning on his basis of being the love rabbi, he's a dating coach and matchmaker, he's a Chabad rabbi. Not only is he a film and television star, but also a producer, multi-talented. The more I talk to you, Rabbi Renat, the more impressed I'm getting. And and you're juggling so many different things, and you really stand by your principles, which I guess is a fr- very refreshing in today's day and age. Because uh, you started saying to me before that some of the producers were, seemed to be shocked that you walked away from all that kind of money and the hundreds of thousands of dollars um, because of your principles. So um, it had some impact. Are you dealing with mainly Jews in the film industry, in the TV industry where you are in Montreal? I would say actually not. Mostly now not Jews. I mean, I would say that, I mean, there's always some Jews around and they're always, you know, they have a comment or two. But the main people in the film industry that I'm dealing with are not Jewish. Interesting, because in Hollywood, you still have a lot of Jews in Hollywood who, in fact, Jews invented Hollywood. Yeah, I think less and less, actually, that are in particular roles as far as like casting and uh, producing and, and, and those kind of roles of people who I would be dealing with. They're, they're mostly not. And, they're, and often they're very respectful, very, very respectful. Really, I mean, <laughs> I hate to say it, but sometimes the Jews that aren't as respectful and the, the right. people who aren't right. Jewish are more respectful. No, that's unfortunate case because if they know a little bit or they think they know, like you mentioned before, when they have roles for Orthodox rabbis or with Judaism, some of them think they know and they misrepresent it. Then it comes out in the film where it's embarrassing, but uh, yet yeah, yeah. that that gets out there. 
Um, now, you mentioned a few minutes ago that the French films tend to be a lot more anti-Semitic than the English ones. And can you give us some examples of what you discovered, what you found, that they tend to be more, in what ways have you found it to be more anti-Semitic in the films? I'm not, I don't think it's necessarily the film, but it's just the media. The French media in general is not sympathetic to the Jewish cause. I'm, I'm not exactly... I can't pinpoint it, but maybe people who are who are more into, let's say, uh, French culture can understand more of the nuance of that. But I just it's something it's my observational uh, opinion that uh, from what I see is that they're just there's often that kind of trope. Uh, there's a lot of stereotyping. There's a lot of othering in the French media. And so, um, like I said before, when I have an opportunity, I find that. Uh, it's even more important to to be in that medium. No, it's important to be in the medium, and the, the more they see. So here's the thing that always intrigues me. We invented Hollywood. We invented the movie, and yet we're almost invisible. And when they do portray us, it's in a negative way. So you would think that we would have a much more of a representation in a positive way in these films and television shows. And can you pick, can you point to any really Jewish television shows in the United States? I don't know what it's like in Canada, but the United States may be less than a handful. You can, you can yeah. come up with But it. I think there's also, there's also a certain like Hollywood esque uh, sacrilege, you know, they, they like to portray Jews in a particular sacrilege form. Right. I don't know. Like, you know, I'm thinking, you know, the Woody Allen style kind of, uh, or, or Larry David style. So there, there, there is that. And so I think that actually it works. Having the Jews in Hollywood does not work to our benefit. And, and it's, tr- it's true that it did come from the Yiddish theater originally, but Hollywood is like the lowest form of Yiddish theater. There, there were higher, more refined forms of Yiddish theater. That's not what Hollywood is. No, but for a period of time in the 40s and 50s, they've written Jews out of Hollywood. They even mm-hmm. made movies uh, such as Dirty Dancing, which took place in the Catskills, and they didn't mention the word Jew. You know, everybody knew it took place there. Yet other films also where they just didn't mention Jews. You would think, that, and, and, I'm, and this is more on television, because on movies you do have more Jewish films than you had the Dib book and you had even... Um, uh, you had um, uh, uh, another. You had you have films with Jewish content. There's even one from Canada with the Chaver Kadishi. There's some wonderful films that have come out over the course of time. But as far as a TV show that portrays a Jewish family uh, in a loving way, and with the exception of the Goldbergs in the fifties, I can't think of any that that exists. Um, and that's a shame because you know you would think that they they're portraying black families and Asian families that they should portray a Jewish family. It could be interesting. Yeah, there um, have been a lot of really great documentaries, but I can't think of a TV show. Documentaries, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Television shows, no. Um, and I'd like to see more you know, of that. And I think it have a positive impact because young people who are not connected to Judaism, and you see that on campus, people come not mm-hmm. connected to Judaism. Uh, forget about Israel, where they have a negative image of Israel because of the way the media distorts it and portrays it. But even Judaism, if it would be portrayed in a more positive light on TV, I think more people would be turned on to Judaism. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's the, what what Hollywood cares about. I mean, definitely maybe what you and I care about a little more, but uh, uh, not necessarily what they care about. But I agree with you. I, and I think that we have a good story to tell, a great story to tell. Now, have you worked with any big movie actors um, in some of the films that you've been in or television shows? I have, yeah. 
Are you able to tell us who they are? Okay, that you can tell us who. Uh... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not. Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's I, I, on those kinds of, I haven't had a major role on those films, so um, I, I haven't had necessarily any on-screen interaction with with anyone. Uh, let's say famous. I've been in in films of which there were famous people, but not necessarily had any on-screen interaction. So it's nothing. Any, you know, it's not. It's not. Again, you know, you know for me. Uh-huh. It's not a big deal, you know. I I put myself out there, and maybe, maybe uh, to to my uh, I, I'm trying to use a word that's not connected to demise, but to my demise, I put myself out there, and uh, I get a lot of flack for it. I would say. Yeah, you got you got a lot of flack from where sure. from other Chabad there rabbis, people, other Rabbanu, other, other people, rabbis. People, they're like, you know, you, well, maybe you're out there in, too much in the media. Well, you're looking for fame. What are you looking for? And the truth is, I don't. I'm not really looking for it. I don't really. It, it, it doesn't really. Uh, uh, it, it, you know, I like it. I, I enjoy it. I, I like being in front of the camera. There's no question about it. Uh, especially recently, I've had you know even some other opportunities of doing voiceover work. I really, really love. Uh, the, playing particular roles and characters and animations and and doing voiceovers, but it, it definitely feeds a part of me. But it's not like I'm looking for it. You know, John Voigt, who's a big movie actor, he stars a lot in the Chabad telethons. You don't have one in Canada, I assume, right? I know they have one from L.A. and one in Long Island. In the no, United there isn't States. one here. No, maybe maybe in your spare time, make a Chabad telethon. But John Voigt and I, when I interviewed him, and I saw him at the Chabad show in Chernobyl, they used to have every year when they were around. And he's been very helpful to Chabad. He told me he wanted to play the role of the Balshemto. <laughs> uh, I have that on tape in one of the interviews we did with him. So that I'm just wondering. If, I mean, I think some of these actors and maybe getting some of them behind them, it might be an interesting thing to have a major TV show or movie that's geared to Jewish themes. Some of these actors might be interested yeah. in being involved. I mean, John Voigt just comes to mind because he mentioned he'd like to play the Balshemto. That's funny. James Earl Jones is the only voice of God that I know. <laughs> Actually, the other one passed away, George Burns. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he also played, he was Jewish. He, he played the, a Jewish role. Is there any role that you'd like to play in a movie that uh, any particular part that you would love to get a chance to portray? I think that, you know, there's been so many really amazing, uh, amazing there's been so many amazing films with regards to, um, you know, looking at maybe other cultures and looking at Judaism as a subculture. I love for to to you know to kind of tell tell the Jewish story. I love to be able to portray um, perhaps, um, and, and this would be in our community a little controversial, but like to the role of Yosef or the role of Moshe. <laughs> I have, a, I always say, and people, I joke about it at my Shabbos table, but there's really truth. I love gossip. You know, it's, it, I really like gossip. I like talking. You and I are talking now. I like talking. I like gossip. And so a long time ago, in order to be able to feed my need for gossip, I started gossiping Torah. And you know, there's a lot to gossip in the Torah. I mean, there's stories. I mean, definitely not a rated G uh story the torah it's rated r in every way and so even at my shabbos table like i'm always we always talk we're always talking about who's related to who and what happened to who and who did this to whom and and i love to be able to show the the torah in that way like in the way that we as jews look at the torah we've the torah has been portrayed so often by others not by us 
It's our story. It's our narrative. You know, with this, what you, you, you mentioned, this woke culture, everyone's talking about, oh, you cannot personify someone who, you know, it's not, it's not my story to tell. This is our story to tell, and we really have never told it. Well, by the way, to me, the proof that the Torah was, was given by God and written by God is that, you know, it has all the blemishes and all the stories, you know, whether it's the fighting in the families or all kinds of relationships that are inappropriate. But the Torah is not afraid to say this is what it is. And if, 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 if a publisher or a Jewish publisher, somebody else were to have written it, they would blot out all these, all these parts, right? They would make it, you know, different. So that's makes it authentic that it's not afraid to deal with the things as they are. Yeah, there's a lot of people in the firm community who would not want Avram Avinu as a as a mechutin. Well, look at Lot. Lot is the is is the ancestor of Mashiach, the Messiah. Exactly. Imagine Lot, who has an has an incestuous relationship with his two daughters, and from him, and there's even more. You heard that Tamar and and right. Dovin and Bathsheba. This is the whole lineage of Mashiach. Correct, correct. And then so you have to stop and, and, and think about it. But their Torah is teaching us a lesson. God's in control of the world, and he decides. And, and by the way, there's a whole, which I'm not going to get into tonight, which I love, which is a, written by Rabbi Tachtel. He was a great Haredi rabbi who unfortunately died at the end of the Holocaust, and he was anti-Israel uh, as far as forming a state, and then he changed his mind. He wrote his book without any notes, without any sperm, without any holy books, and his basic thesis is, is the reason why the Messiah comes from Assessor's relationship. There are lots of forces in the world that want to undermine goodness. And by God, I guess, covering it in what seems to be, uh, which is an Assessor relationship, so you don't pay attention to it, so it's able to go. And he, and he equates that to the state of Israel, where people say it's not the non-religious who built the land, some of the anti-religious that built the land, but it falls under the radar screen. They did the work. So it's an interesting book, and I recommend people to get, but that goes far beyond our conversation mm-hmm. that we're having right now. So I want to get back to matchmaking. So that's a lot of people. I know people are having trouble meeting. In fact, the uh, simplest Torah on the west side of Manhattan, you have hundreds of now. It used to be thousands of singles used to come. And remember in Borough Park years ago, also on 14th Avenue, thousands of singles looking for it. What advice can you give to whether it's parents that are listening right now or actually singles that are having trouble meeting that what would you recommend to them would be a good way for them to meet others? So um, I think, so first to the parents, to the parents, I would say you cannot be hungrier than your children for their relationship. I have parents that call me all the time. Can you set up my child? But if my child knew I was calling you, they would kill me. Well, I'm very happy that that you want your child set up, but I cannot set up your child until your child calls me. And and but you know, your child is not 10 years old. They're in their 30s. <laughs> you know, it's I understand you want grandkids, but I'm really sorry for you. And and I know it's really hard to hear this. But you can't be hungrier than them. They have to want it for themselves. So that's what I say to the parents. To the, the singles themselves, I mean, you're talking about the Upper West Side, just because you mentioned it. It's just a Jewish version of friends. And, you know, the, the level of platonic relationship that has happened there. I mean, there's so many. I mean, I, I just had it the other day where I, I, I thought of two people and I'm like, and they're both on the Upper West Side. And I called up one. And the other one said, oh, I know them. I said, really, what's their favorite color? 
<laughs> no, no, no. I don't mean I know him that way. I mean, like, uh, we met at a, it, I saw them at a party. Oh, so you saw them at a party and that's how you know them because you saw them across the room. You don't know anything about them. No, but my friends know them. Okay. What do you know about them? Enough for a cup of coffee? And I think that it's so easy to rule out people. But these are the people that, that are in your circles. And these are the people who have similarities. And these are the people who understand your, your nuances. So why are you so fast? Because you saw them at an event know nothing about them. You may have spoken to them at a speed dating for four and a half minutes. You're so easy to, 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 to just check them off. Uh, so one of the problems I have with speed dating is that, it, is that it's, you know, everyone, and again, this is basically what's happening out there, is they're going out there trying to find reasons why it's not going to work. Because a lot of them get their hearts broken, and I understand, and, and, and I'm very, being very rough, but I'm also very compassionate. I understand. It's very hard to have your heart broken. And it's very hard. The, 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 the more people you date, you start putting up these defense mechanisms. You start moving further, further away. It's hard. I get it. But that vulnerability is what's going to create the relationship. You can't put up an iron wall between you and another person and expect the relationship to happen. You have to be a little bit vulnerable. You got to put yourself out there. And it could be that person who you went on a four and a half minute date with one time at some random event or whatever else you're doing, or you saw at a party, because these are people who will understand you. And yes, you can connect on that instead of saying this person is platonic, so to speak, and not for me. But there's another factor, too. Because uh, I don't want to pick on the Upper West Side, but I'm going to use it because I know the the joke is, is when you have Simcha's Torah, it's called Zaman Single Senu. <laughs> but but here's what happens. You have parties where you have events where singles meet. And while they're talking to one, they're looking to see who else is out there. So they're not really paying attention because they're saying there's somebody better out there, somebody else I could meet. So they Thank may walk away with lots of numbers, but but their mind is is that, you know, hey, I can't commit because there may be somebody else out there that's bad. And the older they get, I think the more set in the ways they get. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. You know, as so often, I'll set somebody up and they'll say, is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? No. <laughs> right now, this is the only person in the world for you. What do you mean, is there anyone else? What kind of question is that? Are you looking for someone or is this a survey? So how do we change the mindset? Because we have so many singles and older singles. I forget the, the divorced ones that have re, were coming back onto the scene. So they originally were in the single scene. They get married. They get divorced. Some get divorced very quickly. I hear crazy stories. And they come back again to the scene where they're back where they started up again. And so you have this whole problem between those never married and those who are married and now divorced and everybody wants to meet. But they're problems. Yeah, there are. And I think that it starts off with a, a big culture change. I don't know. I don't know a, a, an easy answer for this, but there is a, a cultural issue that's happening and where everybody friend zoning, this kind of friend zoning, or like you said, they're at a party, they're saying hi and looking over the shoulder to see who the next person is. Or, or I, I sent, there was somebody from Toronto that went to New York to meet a young woman and 
An hour into the date, she says, um, I'm sorry, I have another date now. And this guy flew from Toronto for her. And she was saying, well, th this is the culture here. This is normal here. This is what's going on in New York. I mean, you're going to have many dates in one night. So it's kind of like they're, they're setting up. And, and I, don't, I don't understand. That's why I said that, you know, the Upper West Side and the, you and I are picking on it a little bit. But it's become like this version of friends where everyone is just platonic, friend zoning. Nobody wants to actually have a serious relationship. So you think there's so many singles and there's so many possibilities. But the truth is, they're kind of, instead of saying, is this a potential for me? They're saying, they're kind of knocking off and saying this one, no, 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 no. And finding every reason which could be true and could be fabricated, why it will or won't work for them. And what ends up happening over time is you get into this mode where it's just not working. Nothing works. And there's nobody out there for me. We're not looking for nobody. We're looking for one person. Here's an email question for you. Rabbi, one, what percentage of your matches were secular couples versus religious couples? Two, Jonathan Pollard recently got engaged and he's almost 70. Would you make a match like that? What age range do you match? What's the oldest you've matched? Thank you, Mike. Okay. So um, I don't know offhand what my uh, what what my average compared to secular versus religious, um, but uh, I would say that overall um, I I'm, I'm I do a lot more secular than religious, but I have been kind of dabbling into the religious world because there's a huge need for it now that I never knew about. Um, and of course, look, you, you know, the, you have to set up a lot of dates. Here's the thing with older singles. I would love to help older singles. And I, and I think it's such an important thing. But every non-negotiable you have, you need to have a lot of negotiables. If you have too many non-negotiables and no negotiables, there's nothing to talk to. There's nothing to negotiate. There's nobody. So a lot of older singles, because they've been single for a certain amount of time, they get very set in their ways. And it's very hard to be able to to change that. So they want it this way. They want to be like this. They want it that. And they can't even think of having, they want theoretically to have the relationship, but practically they can't even think of being in the relationship. So I say to a lot of them, you have to clear out half of your closet. You have to sleep on one side of your bed. You have to sit at one chair at, at your table. You have to feel like there's something missing in your life. And until you can feel like there's something missing in your life, you're not going to really, theoretically, you want someone, but practically you don't because you don't want to give up those comforts that you've become accustomed to. You know, it reminded me, my father, Olaf Moyes, told this story about a 56-year-old bachelor never married. They kept hounding him. Are you going to get married? Are you going to get married? So finally, he says, I'm 50% there. And they go, wonderful. He goes, yes, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the question is, are, are they ready or not? Yeah. That's, that's the real question. Our guest is Rabbi Yisrael Bernat, spiritual director of Chabad of NDG, Jewish Chapman Concord University. He's here. And the fact that he's the love rabbi, that's why he's been dubbed, made over 50, well, 54 matches. He's trained over 30 matchmakers. He's a film and television star. And uh, he is doing an outstanding job. And he's somebody who stands for his principles. So uh, a fascinating, fascinating personality. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner. America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host.
And we're back, our final segment with the Love Rabbi. He's a dating coach, matchmaker. He's a Chabad rabbi. He's a movie and television star. He's produced animated uh, specials, uh, multi-talented, and he's not afraid to stick up for his principles and takes a lot of heat for being in movies and being the Love Rabbi, and he's turned down positions uh, in movies that he felt goes against his moral compass. Can you tell us, by the way, your... Is there a favorite story that you have imagining something that you think that wouldn't going to work out than it did, or you put a lot of work and effort? And I'm sure you must have some interesting stories from doing this matchmaking. Great question. Uh, a story that wasn't going to work out that did or didn't. Nothing comes to mind at the moment. Maybe something will come. Let's uh, continue and perhaps something All will right, come. I thought, I thought, are yeah. you keeping a diary of different ones? That I do. I, have, I, I do have some written down. And I have written some stories over the years. But nothing, nothing is coming to mind at the moment for some reason. Shalom, Rabbi Moshe Rice. Have you read the great work, Memories of the Lubavitcher Rebbe? I've long thought that it might make a great movie. Would you consider making a movie of this fantastic story? I so agree. It's so I, I love the memoirs, uh, and I think I, I always said that uh, the previous Rebbe who wrote them, he should have gotten the Pulitzer Prize with just how descriptive he was, and even in his uh, in, hum, in his in, in his human and his uh, diary, the way he would describe various scenes that happened in his life. And yes, I I agree with uh, with with that email. I I do think that that would make an amazing movie. No, it certainly would be. By the way, I, I started asking this before. Um, and you mentioned Netflix with the Jewish matchmaking. Have you considered getting people to back you up and doing maybe a weekly series, whether it's television or radio, matchmaking, a Jewish matchmaker on the air? So now, I don't know. You know, the answer is yes. I, I have actually uh, a company here in Canada that's been uh, that's been bugging me for a little while to do a series. There's one series that I want to do. It's not the series they want to do, but if somebody wanted to do the series, then I think I would go with it. And that is, I think that marriage is a lost art. And I think that there's a lot of young people today. They come from divorced homes. Uh, they don't have good role models for relationships. And I would like to ha- do a series where I go with young people and I interview couples that have been married 50 years plus to find out what the secret is. And kind of capturing the old world, what marriage was, and connecting it to a younger generation. You see, if somebody would do that, and I have approached a couple of, uh, I just approached someone now, uh, a producer for, for, for a big company with this idea. And they were, they, they didn't say no right away. They were like interested and they wanted, so, so we're going to do a pilot of it just to kind of see how it would go. And like how it would work out. And, you know, it's obviously also finding the right couples, these older couples finding, you know, it's not easy to, to be somebody who lends well to the screen. So we're, we're going to try a pilot and see if it goes. So that's something that I, I think would be amazing. It's kind of, you know, recapturing what marriage, what the essence is. You know, that's a good idea, even though a lot of people, here's the interesting part where human relationships are so complex. Yeah. So you have couples that may have stayed together because they just didn't get divorced. It wasn't part of their culture. 
Uh, COVID, I think, changed a lot of things of people who were long-term married, uh, didn't uh, stay married because they were in the house more with each other than, uh, than ordinarily. I know one rabbi who purposely went to the office during COVID, didn't want to be home with his wife all right. that long. Um, so relationships are complex, but I would say that maybe some of the singles that see the parents struggling or divorce may have an impact where they want to avoid that, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. We also live in a throwaway age where if something doesn't work, you throw it out. So divorce is much more prevalent because one minute a problem comes up, get rid of him or her. And the same thing in maybe relationships, you know, something comes up. Okay. I'm out of here. And this well, may be part of the problem. That's part of the problem is that young people today don't have that role model. They don't have anyone to look at. So they know this doesn't work. But what does work? We know what doesn't work. We know your parents, let's say, if they were divorced or didn't have a healthy relationship, they didn't work. But what does work? And it's kind of going and recapturing. Anytime I see a a couple that I consider, you know, that has been married, I see them together walking, if I see them in the store, I will approach them and say, what's the secret? How long have you been married? What's the secret? The other day, I was in the store here and I, you know, if you go in Montreal here, we have this area called Côte Saint-Luc and, uh, you know, they call it Côte Saint-Juif, Côte Saint-Jew. And there's all these elderly Jewish couples. And I see, I was in the mall there and I see this elderly couple, they're walking together, holding hands. And you can see, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a fame, there's a beauty to, to, so I walked over, Shalom Aleichem, who are you? What's your name? Talking to them. They're married 68 years. Wow. Married 68 years. They met right after the war. They met in a DP camp. And they stayed married, kids, grandkids, great-grandkids. And so I started, I, of course, I asked them, so what's the secret? And, you know, they're looking at each other and they're, you know, he's laughing and she's laughing and you can't really get, but, but then they had some real good pearls. She says, patience. And so I, I, I pride her a little bit. Like, what does that mean? What does patience mean? And she said, you know, you, you have to know that, that, that it's not going to always be the way you want, and it's not going to be as fast, and it's not going to be as, you know, life doesn't work that way. You have to be patient not only with your spouse, but be patient about life together. And I thought there was a real gem there. Like, that's what I'm talking about, just capturing those little gems that people who've been married that many years, they carry those gems with them. And I think it's a lost art. No, that's certainly showing the role model. But I, but I was thinking more where you take your matchmaking skills and actually show it on the air, maybe showing couples and guiding them through, like a reality-type show. So, it can even be scripted based so on the reality. There's a show that came out. There's a show that CBC just released. Uh, it came out uh, on September 24th. So how long ago was that? Three weeks ago. And it's a show that we were working on for about two and a half years. Um, I I was not the producer or director. I was just the matchmaker. And they 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 casted quite a number of very a huge net of singles. They chose four singles. And let's just say for practical purposes, it was like, let's try to find the hardest people to match up and see what this guy can do. And each one was crazier than the next. I, I mean it with all love. Uh-huh. I mean it and I have to say, I, when I saw the film, I didn't see it till it came out. And maybe that was part of my mistake. I, other films I've been part of, I've had a lot more edit, editorial control. To me, it looked like a freak show. I mean, yes. Is it entertaining? Incredibly entertaining. 
But even more, did the matches work out? That's the question. You can't match these people up. These people are impossible to match up. They, but the thing is, nor, the normal people, so to speak, I don't know what normal is. You know, normal is a, a dial on the, on, the, on, the, on the dryer, right? Normal or washing machine. But the, the quote-unquote normal people, they don't make for good TV. So if you want, yes, is this show highly entertaining? It's highly entertaining. Will it teach you anything? Absolutely not. Am I proud of it? Absolutely not. <laughs> but it is, it is, it is very entertaining. Yeah, they're crazy people. And I try to do my best. And it shows this kind of process of me, you know, being very excited about matching them up to like basically at the end saying, like, there's no hope for these people. But it's called Meet Pray Love. I don't know, you know. And 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 this I would assume it's all Jewish individuals that were they're all Jewish people. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And what is it? Just a one-shot deal, or is it an ongoing series that they wanted? So to do? now, so so basically, it was the sequel to Kosher Love. So it was done by uh-huh. CBC. It was the sequel to it, and now they're getting so much positive feedback because it's highly entertaining. But is that what I'm? Is that what I'm a rabbi? Right? Is that what I'm here for? Am I, am I here to be highly? Well, let me ask you a question though, and maybe a lot of them will never be matched. But if one match comes out of all of those shows, is it worth it? Yes. Okay, that's I knew you were going to say that. So that's why it's worth to go through a lot of ones that may never make it, but you never know what. Uh, what well, I, I think they're also they're caricatures of other people. So people do kind of see themselves. A lot of singles, we're, they're, they're getting a lot of feedback now since the film has come out, where a lot of singles do see a portion of themselves through that. So I do see at the end that hopefully somebody can learn what not to do or what not to be like in order to be able to find that person. But uh, not something I'm proud of, that particular. Rabbi Yisrael, we're proud of Rabbi Yisrael Bernat because he's not only a Chabad rabbi, he is a dating coach, a matchmaker. He's the love rabbi. He's a film and television star. He's produced animations. And uh, he's not afraid to stand up for his principles, getting flagged for being in the movies and getting uh, losing money by not appearing in certain films that he feels is not uh, to his moral compass. So... Thank you for coming on. Thank you for what you're doing. Continued success. If people want to reach out to you, how can they do so? They can email me. is probably the easiest way. Uh, rabbi at JewishNDG.com. I'm also on all the social channels. If they, I have a Facebook uh, page, Instagram, Twitter. They can DM me on any of those places. And I try to be pretty uh, LinkedIn. You know, I, I, I try to answer uh, as quick as I can. And well, LinkedIn is a very appropriate uh, terminology for trying to get people to get get married. Yeah. <laughs> trying to find the link, not the missing link, but to find a link, an important link. Exactly. Thank you for being here with us. Look forward to having you back. I really enjoy it. We have to have you back. And maybe we'll get you to do a radio show, live matchmaking on the air, too. <laughs> Absolutely. That would be uh, a good idea. It was, it was great to be here. And thank you for having me. And thank you. Some good questions, some good comments. Thank you so much and continued success. Thank you. When we come back, thank you for tuning in to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast, the pulse beat of the Jewish community. For continuous Jewish programs, talklinenetwork.com or our 24 hour a day listen line at 641 741 0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the talklinenetwork.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.